going to give a couple of announcements, do a, a word of prayer, and then we're going to do some singing. Um, first off, I uh, just wanted to let you know um, that uh, for the next three Sundays, we're going to be doing uh, pictures. We're going to do a new pictorial directory. Uh, my wife, Joanne, will be taking those photos in the associate pastor's office. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet there by the office. This is for any kind of regular attender. This is not members only. And uh, so, we'll, yeah, we'll be doing that over the next, uh, next three Sundays. Um, also, uh, the program's slightly different in that we have a, a children's program today. Um, so we do have, we, uh, we have child care for ages one to four down in the nursery. Um, but first we'll do the, uh, uh, the children's program, and then any kids age one to four are welcome to head down there. Um, and then also on the back, we sometimes have uh, bags of, um, of just uh, colored uh, stuff for, for the kids, uh, like crayons and drawings and that kind of thing. So if you have kids or if you're just a little bit ADD yourself, uh, feel free. Oh, they're all gone. Never mind. Forget everything I said over the last 30 seconds. Um, not what I'm about to say, but, but what I just said. That's, keep, keep that straight. Um, what else? And also just want to let you know that uh, this Wednesday is the last Wednesday for the Wednesday night program. So if you missed it, uh, sad for you. It's been a good year. Um, but this is, this is our last Wednesday, and then we'll wrap things up. So I'm going to pray, and then let's sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for another Easter, another time to celebrate, uh, another time to remember who you are, what you did, uh, and what happened uh, almost 2,000 years ago. Lord, that event changed eternity um, for the nations, and we are so, so grateful. And so this morning, we want to offer up our worship and praise to you, uh, because you are so deserving. We love you, Lord. Amen. Please stand with us. We're going to sing, He Lives. Serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever others say. I see His hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just in time I need Him, He's always Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me. 
absence of wrong a sin washed away in your blood too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my fall the scandal of grace you died in my place so my soul will live to be
Well, one other special announcement that I want to make is just that we want to extend congratulations to Virginia. Um, uh, oh, okay. She's in the back. She's missing this. Uh, congratulations to Virginia on the birth of Hayden Lee Dennis, who was born on April 1st. So uh, congratulations to her. Uh, at this time in the service, we'd like to take a few moments to, to pray. Uh, a few, I'll share a few uh, kind of uh, prayer requests, but um, really kind of you can go whatever direction you need to with this. If you just need to uh, speak to God, if you just need to hear from God, uh, if you want to pray for others, we welcome you to do so. A couple things. Um, of course, Kenton and Kedron Miller, who are serving in uh, Germany, um, we would... Uh, ask for your prayers for them. They're a young missionary couple that we support, as well as Jason and Nicole Queering, who are uh, serving in Utah, church planting there, both of them celebrating Easter there. Uh, and you know, this morning I'd invite you to, to pray for our community, uh, pray for our school teachers, pray for um, our, our local leaders and our mayor, um, pray for Mylan and our fire and EMS people, that they would just be really bored. Um, so just, yeah. Be praying for, uh, I invite you to just pray for our community this morning. So let's have a little bit of silence and then I'll conclude. Heavenly Father, you have uh, richly blessed us. Uh, we live in a good country. Uh, we live in a, a good state and a good community. We ask for your continued blessing and guidance um, on, this, on this community and the ones around it, Lord. Uh, show us how to be involved, where we can plug in. Uh, we do pray for our, our local leaders, that you would give them wisdom and discernment. Uh, for Milan, for the fire and EMS, God, that you would keep them safe, that all will go well. Uh, Lord, for our teachers who hold such an incredible place of influence, Lord, uh, that you would continue to sustain them and just give them a vibrant energy and love uh, for these little ones, God, and that you would meet all of their needs, and that you would show us how to uh, support and encourage those um, around us as well. So, And again, we thank you for a good morning, a morning where we can remember that the tomb is empty and that you sit at the right hand of God and that you, uh, you welcome us in. We love you and we worship you. Amen. Ushers. Cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands pierced me, my Savior on that cursed tree. 
Isn't it good to praise God? Thank you, worship team. Okay, uh, I'd like to have the, invite the children to come on up. And I have something you probably don't want to miss, and you'll want to be close to see it. So come on up and sit on the floor right here. And you'll want to you'll face the screen. 
screen so you can see what's on the screen. So just sit right here on the floor. All right. Wow, it's good to see everybody dressed up so nicely. Today is a really special day. Can anybody tell me what today is? Easter. And Easter is one of my favorite holidays. And it's not just because we get to eat a lot of good food, get a lot of candy and do Easter egg hunts. It's because something changed on this day. What what happened on Easter? Can anybody tell me what happened on Easter? Jesus died on a cross. Did he stay there? What happened Easter morning? He rose again. And it changed things for us because he is alive. And we can be so happy about that. He, he took our sins and he made us clean. And we can now have a beautiful relationship with him. Well, today I brought something in my basket that God created And I want to show you how it can remind us of Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection. Let's see. I think it's this one here. Hmm. All right. Does anybody know what this is? A sand dollar. dollar. Where do you find a sand dollar at? At the beach. Would you find one in Henderson? Probably not. No. I got, where did you get your sand dollar from? South Carolina. And I bet there's beaches there, right? Yeah, I got this sand dollar. I love going to the beach because it reminds me how huge God is and what he made. And I picked this up in California and brought it home with me to remind me of God's creation. And um, God created this amazing little sea creature. And you can see up there a picture of real live sand dollars. They're, they're a little bit darker in real life, and they're many different colors. And they are covered with these little tiny spines that help them move around on the ocean floor. And the spines also help them feed each other, and their stomach is that hole right there in the middle. Right? Isn't that cool? God made some amazing things. Well, this, what I have today, is just the skeleton of a sand dollar. And when it gets washed up on the beach... It gets bleached white like this. Now, I want to tell you how this reminds me of Jesus. Because everything God creates can point to Jesus, right? So on the top part, you'll see right in the middle. If you look up there, you can kind of see it. There is a star. And if we think about a star, we can think about when Jesus was born and how the wise men followed the star to find him, right? So that can remind us of Jesus' birth. Yeah, and and then around the star is a big, it's just kind of outlining the star is, um, it kind of reminds me of the Easter lily. Here we have Easter lilies up here. Does that kind of look like the, the lily on my sand dollar? So that can remind me of how Jesus rose again and he lives because we have Easter lilies at Easter to remind us of new life. Okay, can anybody tell me what you kind of see on the back? If I turn it over, what do you see? Or you can look at the big screen too. What do you see, Tiffany? Looks kind of like a butterfly. There's five points and it reminds me of another flower that we 
used to celebrate at Christmas, a poinsettia. So it reminds me again of Jesus' birth. Isn't that neat? Okay, and on the edges, what do you see? There's holes. How many do you see, Katie? Four holes on the edge. And that reminds me of Jesus' birth, how the soldiers nailed four, uh, three nails in, but there was four holes, two in his hands and two in his feet. And then there's a, another hole right in the middle, and that can remind me of how the soldiers pierced his side with the spear. Okay, and finally, if you very carefully break the sand dollar open, which I did at home, I broke it open. There's the coolest thing inside. You'll see five little doves. Every sand dollar has these inside. And it, the, it's kind of its bones, but it looks just like five doves. And you can see it up there on the screen. And doves remind us of peace and joy and how God used a dove to spread the good news. And so we can be reminded to spread the good news of Jesus wherever we go. All right, so next time you guys are at the beach, you can search for one of these sand dollars, okay? But but since, you know, Henderson is kind of far away from the ocean, right? I've brought you each a sand dollar today. In fact, I brought you two so that you can take one home and it can remind you of those things, and inside's a little poem to help you remember the symbols of what the sand dollar stands for. And the other one, you can very carefully break open if you want and search for the five doves inside, okay? So if you would like, before you go back, you can come up carefully and take a, a sack of two sand dollars, okay? Thanks for coming. Well, I hope you're having a good day so far. Uh, for some of us, it started a little bit earlier. We had a neat uh, sunrise service in the park at 645. Um, although by the time the sun came over the horizon and the grain elevator and the trees in the houses, it was probably more like 720. So we'll, we'll probably uh, book that one a little bit later next year. Um, my bad, sorry. And then, of course, uh, a great breakfast that, that hopefully many of you are here for. Well, today is a time where we celebrate and remember Easter. And within the Christian faith, 
Um, Easter is, is huge. Uh, really, it's one of the, the biggest holidays for us uh, in what we're remembering. Uh, when Jesus was on earth, he, he did a lot of things. He said a lot of things. They were very powerful, very impactful, and, and really changed the world. I mean, what uh, his life on earth, uh, I would say, really changed the world. But when he died on the cross, really that's what changed eternity. Um, we firmly believe that when Christ died on the cross, he opened the doors to heaven, created a means by which we could uh, eternally be reconciled to God, spend eternity with him in heaven. Um, so for Christians, our time on earth is the worst that it's ever going to be. Um, and for non-Christians, this is the best that it's ever going to be. So the resurrection is in critical importance to our faith. Uh, if the resurrection, though, did not happen, then really most of what we believe is nonsense. Uh, I guess you could still embrace parts of the Old Testament, but even at that, not all of it, because some of it does prophesy about Jesus. Um, but really most, if not all, of the New Testament becomes unreliable, uh, actually more than unreliable. Uh, if the resurrection didn't happen, then frankly we've all been made to look like fools. If, uh, if one day they undeniably found Jesus' body... Uh, it just it calls into question everything. Uh, it makes Jesus a liar, a lunatic, a crazy man, you know, and we just got suckered into one of the worst scams the world has ever known. Paul deeply understood the importance of the resurrection, and he writes these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. He says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. If the resurrection did not happen, then Paul says we are to be pitied more than anyone else on earth. Let me word it like this. If the resurrection didn't happen... I'm out. Uh, I'm done with Jesus. I'm done with the Christian faith. I quit. No resurrection makes the entire New Testament untrustworthy. And Jesus is no longer someone who, who has conquered death, no longer someone who has authority, and no longer someone who has power. All a scam. But, you've got to look at the other side as well. If the resurrection did happen, and Jesus Christ did predict his own death in detail, if he did die on the cross, take the penalty for my sin, if he did actually die and then rise from the dead three days later, then this is no ordinary man. His words are not to be trifled with. And if Jesus is Lord, then that also changes everything. What he said becomes crucially important to me. How he lived becomes a model for me. And what he says about life after death is to be trusted as true. It was kind of interesting to learn uh, what the Quran says about Jesus. Uh, about all of this, actually. Uh, Muslims do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. But the Quran does speak of Jesus. It does call him a good prophet. 
It does say that he ascended in bodily form. It does say that a crucifixion happened, but it does not say that it was Jesus who was crucified. The Quran says that Allah set a substitute who is made to look like Jesus and to die in place of Jesus. Of all the things that the Quran could sort of attack or undermine about Jesus, they chose the resurrection, and in doing so, Jesus' lordship. So, let's start with the basics. Was Jesus real? Did this guy even exist? Uh, Two main sources that you can use uh, to answer that question. Of course, one of them are the scriptures themselves, uh, which by any account are a phenomenal uh, historical document uh, that continue to be proved true in their accuracy and historical detail. Uh, But the second source would be references outside scripture uh, or people who who didn't actually kind of directly benefit uh, from following Jesus or from the Christian faith. Uh, most of you, I'm assuming, uh, you're here, most of you believe in Scripture, so I'm not going to cover that in detail. Uh, but I do want to share some of the, the external kind of non-Christian uh, sources with you. Uh, but let me start by saying that historical documents on anybody from that era are hard to come by. Because one, it was 2,000 years ago. Let's just keep that in mind. Um, but most of these documents, they've been destroyed throughout the centuries by wars, fires, pillaging, uh, just weathering. Also, they just don't keep records like we do, uh, like we do today. But for, exa- um, uh, uh, for example, Alexander the Great. We'll just kind of use this as a baseline. Uh, in 336 BC, Alexander the Great became king of Macedonia. He was a military genius. He spent most of his ruling years on an unprecedented military campaign through Asia and Northeast Africa. By the age of 30, he had created one of the largest empires of the ancient world stretching from Greece to Egypt and into northwest India. He was undefeated in battle, and he is considered one of history's most successful military commanders. It's said that he cried when there were no more worlds to conquer. Pansy. That wasn't in my notes. That just slipped out. (laughs) Every kid learns about Alexander in elementary school. The history of Alexander is drawn from only five sources, all of which are written 300 years or later after he died. His two earliest biographers, uh, where are their names here, Um, Plutarch and Arian, wrote about him more than 400 years after his death which, if you want to do the math, would be the age of our country, plus about 160 years. And yet their writings are generally considered accepted as trustworthy by historians. Historians believe that Alexander really existed, largely because the accounts of his life are confirmed by archaeology and his impact on history. So the best we have on Alexander the Great is five sources and not one of them closer than 300 years to when he actually lived. When it comes to Jesus, we have several external sources. Uh, One guy by the name of Josephus, he was a Jewish historian born just a few years after Jesus died. Uh, He spoke of Jesus at least twice, possibly a third time. Uh, He was kind of a famous uh, historian of his day. 
uh, Cornelius Tacticus um, from A.D. 55 to A.D. 120. He was a center, or a historian of the Roman Empire. He is considered by many to be the greatest ancient Roman, Roman historian. Uh, he wrote that Christ lived during the reign of Tiberius, suffered under Pontius Pilate, that Jesus' teachings had already spread to Rome, and that Christians were considered criminals and tortured in a variety of ways, including crucifixion. Uh, Suetonius, A.D. 70 to 160, Roman historian and analyst of the imperial house, mentions Christians and indirectly mentions the resurrection, and he wrote that Crestus, or Christ, was an instigator. Pliny the Younger, fun name, but that did him well in junior high. Pliny the Younger uh, was an imperial magistrate under Emperor uh, Trajan. In AD 112, Pliny wrote to Trajan of his attempts to force Christians to renounce Christ, whom they worshipped as a god. Uh, Emperor Trajan wrote letters mentioning Jesus, the early Christian origins. Emperor Hadrian wrote about Christians as followers of Jesus. There is so much written about Jesus by non-Christian resources that Edwin Yamuki, a professor of history at Miami University, lists what can be known regarding Jesus through non-Christian writers alone. Jesus was a Jewish teacher. Many people then believed that he performed healings and exorcisms. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Despite his shameful death, his followers, who believed that he was still alive, spread beyond Palestine, so there were multitudes of them in Rome by A.D. 64, and all kinds of people from the cities and countrysides, men, women, slaves, and free, worshipped him as God by the beginning of the second century. Even Wikipedia weighed in on the debate. Not that Wikipedia is like the end of all of historical knowledge, but it was interesting. Wikipedia writes... Virtually all scholars who write on the subject accept that Jesus existed. The two events that are subject to almost universal acceptance are that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and was crucified by the order of the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate. In total, there are nine non-Christian secular writers who mention Jesus as a real person all within 150 years of his death. It's twice what Alexander had, in case you were kind of keeping tabs in your head. Uh, interestingly, that's also the same number of uh, scholars who mentioned Tiberius Caesar, the Roman emperor, during Jesus' time. I mean, we have just as much reference about Jesus as the Roman emperor who was in charge at that time. And if you were to consider the Christian and the non-Christian sources, then there are 42 who mention Jesus compared to just 10 for Tiberius. Uh, most of you believe that the scripture is to be true, uh, but just a few comments on, on stuff that I found on that. Uh, when today's legal standards for historical documents are applied to the scriptures, uh, they pass. They meet all the requirements for authentication under the rules of evidence. Um, also, the evidence shows that all of the books of the New Testament were written before um, A.D. 80. Christ was killed in roughly 33. Uh, so it's only about 50 years after his death, which is plenty of time for anyone to review, to refute, you know, kind of false ideas or crazy ideas. And today there are over 25,000 known manuscripts of the New Testament, 5,800 of them in Greek, 
And the closest competitor is Homer's Iliad, and we just have a measly 2,000 of that. So, did Jesus rise from the dead? Uh, history is pretty certain that Jesus lived and was crucified. Uh, even Wikipedia agreed with that. But did he rise from the dead? Uh, one of the arguments out there uh, is that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He just sort of swooned, got lightheaded, passed out, and then came to three days later. Um, in preparing for this sermon, just for the sake of time, I cut out about four pages of notes uh, describing the crucifixion process. Um, but we won't go through in detail because you guys need to be out of here by supper. Um, but, but let me just say that, that people did not survive the crucifixion process. Uh, it is not possible for a human being uh, to be beaten, uh, to be flogged, which is a process that literally rips the flesh off of your back until they can see your rib cage. It was called the Roman half-death because half the people died from it. Um, to be crucified, um, a process described by the Journal of the American Medical Association as one of the most painful ways to die. Uh, Jesus was examined by professional executioners who did this a lot. When Spartacus rebelled uh, and eventually lost, they crucified 6,000 of his followers on one road, um, I think in one day. So these men were very good. They knew what they were doing. Uh, he was basically encased in 100 plus pounds of a plaster-like substance. Then he spent three days in a cold tomb with no food and no water. So to say that he just kind of suddenly woke up, feeling refreshed, feeling better, crawled out of his burial clothes, pushed a two-ton rock up the hill, and then snuck past 16 of the best military-trained soldiers that the world had at that time. Um, yeah, Jesus, Jesus was dead. Um, we can just safely say that, that Jesus died. Um, the difficult part is, why is there no body? And how do you deal with this testimony in Scripture, as well as a multitude of circumstantial evidence all of which points to a man who was raised from the dead. For instance, uh, Jesus was buried in a tomb that was easy to find. I mean, everyone knew where it was at. Uh, the apostles knew where it was at. The women knew where it was at. Uh, the Jewish leaders knew where it was at. The soldiers knew where it was at. Uh, those who buried Jesus knew where it was at. Had anyone falsely or claimed, you know, falsely that you know he, he was resurrected, any one of these people could have been sa said, "Wrong tomb. It's this one over here." The one with the, with the big rock and like all the soldiers standing around it, ready to kill you. Interestingly, there's no conflicting burial story. It's not like we have all these options that we can choose from and we're trying to wait out what really happened. Uh, this is the only story. There, there, are, there are no other options. Um, also, people of that day, probably even people of this day, people of that day, had a propensity to take someone's grave or someone's body and turn it into a shrine. I mean, how many cathedrals are built on some apostle's bones or some saint so-and-so's bones, right? Uh, you can visit Lenin's tomb in, in Moscow. Uh, even the Taj Mahal is an elaborate tomb. If people had found Jesus' tomb, or if they even had a strong suspicion of where it was, they would have turned it into a, a mausoleum or a shrine or a cathedral and, you know, sell you tickets at $10 a pop, you know, to, to, to come in and check it out. 
No shrine is an amazing proof of no body. Also, tomb security was excellent. Uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees didn't want someone to steal the body and start a rumor that Jesus had risen from the dead. So, they went to Pilate and they asked for security. So, Pilate sealed it, which is they, they take kind of a, a, a piece of rawhide, they stretch it across, and then they stamp it with clay, and it has kind of the, the imperial signet stamped on it. And if you broke that, they killed you. They hunted you down and they killed you. Um, also, Pilate told them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. Now, at that time, the, the Roman guards were excellent. They were well-disciplined. They were well-trained. Um, I once heard that their training methods were actually recorded and then later used to train our Green Berets in Vietnam and maybe even today. Uh, this group that Pilate gave them would have been anywhere from 4 to 16 men. And each soldier was responsible for six square feet of ground. So they would take whatever it is that they would guard, they would circle it, each soldier would establish his six feet, and then anyone that came within that space, he was trained to kill you. And if that soldier fell asleep on the job, he was burned at the stake. So, you know, they're pretty adamant about keeping each other awake all night long. But that is why the conversation with the chief priests is so fascinating. In Matthew 28, verse 11, this is after the resurrection, it reads like this. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, and they said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And then here's the interesting part. And if this comes to the governor's ears... We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. If this rumor had come to the governor's ears, they would have been in danger of execution. So the chief priests couldn't just offer money. They had to offer money and protection, sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card as best they could. Jesus appeared to Mary. He appeared to the disciples. Uh, he told them to feel his hands and his side. Uh, he ate food in front of them. Uh, he appeared to a couple walking to Emmaus. It's later recorded that he appeared to 500 other people. And that's significant because the gospel accounts were written so close to the time of his death that if the authors had included inaccurate facts, any one of these people could have stood up and spoke against it. Um, our records of Jesus were written within 30 to 40 years of Jesus' death. And in fact, the Gospel of Mark was likely written about three to four years after his resurrection. Uh, also, you know, Jesus' resurrection convinced family to worship him as God. Do you know how hard that would be? What would it take for your siblings to worship you as God? Typically, the people you grow up with are the most set uh, in, in presuming who you are. Um, in fact, when Jesus started his ministry, he started in his hometown, and it didn't go well. They tried to kill him. James 7, uh, 5 says that not even his brothers believed in him. But later on, James, one of Jesus' half-brothers, 
becomes an apostle, serves in a place of leadership in the early church, and wrote the book of James. And then, of course, there's the transformation of the disciples. Uh, when Jesus was betrayed, they all ran away. Uh, like Peter gets a lot of flack and Judas gets a lot of flack, they all ran away, all right? None of them were good about it. But afterwards, something happened. The apostles literally went to the corners of the globe talking about Jesus, and legend has that most of them were tortured and martyred. Another point of evidence, this was fascinating. Something convinced the early Jewish people to completely violate two of the Ten Commandments. First off, they changed the day when they did worship. Uh, the early church was predominantly Jewish. Uh, they worshipped on, on Saturday. They had done so for thousands of years. It's in the Ten Commandments, you know, to, to worship on, on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. So it was a huge violation to worship on any other day. And suddenly they start worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. Because that's when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Um, also, they, they changed the object of worship. The Ten Commandments says, you know, uh, worship, you know, the Lord your God, the God alone. Don't worship any false idols. And suddenly they're worshiping a man named Jesus who doesn't actually get explicitly named in the Old Testament. I mean, he's talked about a lot, but at no point it says, oh, by the way, there's a guy named Jesus. He'll be the third part of the Trinity. Something convinced these early Jewish believers to completely violate uh, two of the Ten Commandments. And some have suggested, well, the whole resurrection idea is simply borrowed from other religions of that day. Uh, but that doesn't work because no other religion has this storyline. Uh, it didn't then, I, and even today, I don't think any other religion has this kind of storyline uh, that says, you know, God is holy, but you're not, but he loves you desperately, and so he is going to come as a humble human being. He is going to die a horrible death on your behalf so that he can receive you into fellowship in heaven. No other religion has that storyline. Um, you just It's so ludicrous. You can't make that kind of stuff up. History agrees that Jesus was real, uh, that he was crucified. Um, evidence is pretty compelling that he rose from the dead. Uh, but ultimately, the question arises, you know, what impact does this have for us today? I mean, what, what's kind of the big deal about this? I mean, like we said earlier, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are to be pitied more than any other people group. But if it did happen that we need to give attention to Jesus, what he did, what he said, and how he lived. So is Jesus just kind of a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings? Or is he the Son of God and the source of life? My dad inherited uh, our, the original homestead property uh, up in, in South Dakota. So this is the land that my ancestors received and settled on in the late 1800s. Uh, actually, I, I realized the other night that I'm the first generation to not grow up on this piece of land. My great-grandfather buried two of his children on that land. Twice. Two separate accounts. Infant girls. Uh, lived a week or two and then passed. Their grave markers are three rocks. Uh, we, we know where they are generally, but not specifically. We, we, I mean, 
three rocks, and this was decades ago. We haven't been able to find them. When a father goes into a grove of trees with a shovel to dig a grave for his child, when a family does a private funeral for an infant, when sorrow and grief are insurmountable, what can Jesus bring into that? If the resurrection never happened, then the only thing he has is a few cute sayings that work well in a Hallmark card. Or, he is the risen Savior who is present in a moment like that. Someone able to speak life into a situation marred by death. I was reading a book several years ago by a guy who, who does a lot of inner city ministry. Uh, and one story was incredibly powerful and has kind of always stuck in my head. Um, there, was, uh, there was a prostitute who worked nearby. Uh, he knew her well. I mean, he had ministered to this gal for a long time. They were friends. Uh, she would always ask about his kids. She called them his babies. She'd say, how are your babies? Uh, you know, they could be full grown, but she'd say, how are your babies? So one day, kind of one evening, actually, he's kind of making his normal rounds. He sees her. They chat. Finds out that it's her birthday, that she was turning 30, 30 years old that day. And then, almost kind of offhandedly, you know, like anyone reminiscing about any job, she says, wow, I can't believe I've been doing, she, you know, she, oh, I'm turning 30, can't believe I've been doing this now for 17 years. Do the math. And then he said a very powerful line. He goes, you know, I can't figure out what's more horrible. The last 17 or the first 13 that brought her into that position. Does Jesus have anything to offer that woman? Who for the last 17 years has only known one profession? Who obviously had an awful 13 years prior to that? Does Jesus have anything to offer her or not? And the crucifixion is where we draw the line in the sand. The resurrection, sorry. The resurrection is where we draw the line in the sand. Does he or does he not have something to offer her? If he does, I'm in. I'm all in. Uh, heart, soul, and mind, he can have it all in. And I'm committed to the finish line. But if he doesn't, then it's a scam and I want out. I am not interested in leading some moralistic lifestyle because it's a good tradition or my ancestors did it. I'm not interested in doing the same thing year after year because it sounds like a good idea. What I am interested in is following a Savior and a God who can change lives, both eternally and also present. If Jesus rose from the dead and he is who he says he is, then what does this mean for the person who never knew what it was like to have a father, or at least a father that complimented them? Uh, what does it mean for the person who who can't stop taking another drink or clicking on another website or rolling the dice or shooting up one more time? What impact does this have on a nation torn in two by civil war? What does this mean for a refugee separated from family living in a tent for the past three years? Jesus claims that he can offer all of those people life and hope and future and salvation and healing and forgiveness 
but it is the resurrection that will either validate those claims as true or expose them as completely false and worthless. Just chaff in the wind. You can't dabble in Jesus. Uh, it doesn't work like that. It's like trying to dabble in marriage. It's just it's not, it's not good. Uh, he is king, lord, savior, teacher, and friend. Or we choose to make him nothing in life. Uh, in the English language, there's two words that are actually incompatible. Uh, when you put the two words together, they actually cancel each other out. And the two words are, no, Lord. Because if you say no, then he's not Lord. If Jesus rose from the dead, and he truly is a Lord, then he gets to call the shots. He is worthy of our love, our affection, our thanks, our praise, and our loyalty. And he beckons us to something fuller, something deeper, something meaningful. If the resurrection actually happened, then we need to give serious credit to who he is and what he says about life. Uh, In the book of John, chapter 10, Jesus gives this analogy. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. They shall be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Uh, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. But he opens up that whole thing with this phrase. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. What part of your existence needs life? Where do you need Jesus? Not some wimpy, timid, hallmark, saying, cutesy Jesus, uh, but a strong, vibrant God who died and rose on your behalf and now sits at the right hand of God with power over all eternity. As the worship team uh, comes forward, uh, they're going to lead us in in a closing song. Uh, If you want to sing, you're welcome to sing. Uh, If you just want to be quiet, let them sing over you, you are welcome to do that as well, too. Heavenly Father, um, God, we trust that that you rose from the dead. We We place our faith, our trust, our hope in you. And uh, Lord, it's, it's kind of an all or nothing. Um, and so we want to be all in. And we say you're Lord and that you get to call the shots around here. Uh, you can have my life. You can have our life, Lord. We want to serve you well. And we want to spend eternity with you, Lord. And God, we choose to believe. That in our day-to-day, you have the power and the authority and the ability to speak into that. And to speak into our lives. And to meet us where we're at. And that you have authority and power over the earth and the heavens and all the kingdoms. We worship you and we love you. Amen. Stand with us. Christ alone.
step out into the world. You're dismissed.